Welcome to the Three Points and a Pie podcast, brought to you by the Pig and Pan Public House, Bermondsey. Sit back and listen to a few numpties chat all things football. Here's your hosts, Kyle Colson, Colby Stevens, and Alfie Lauder. Welcome to the Three Points in a Pie podcast. I'm your host, Colby Stevens. Kyle Colson. And Alfie Lauda. All right, guys, this week we're going to go into a little bit more in depth of uh, the world crisis in Ukraine and how that is affecting the world of soccer. Um, but just kind of preface to that, we are going to go over our Champions League matches and the top four Premier Leagues match. And also we're going to go over the Carabao Cup final. Um, so let's go ahead and segue into our... Champions League. Okay, so this week I, I basically covered the, the Chelsea Lille and the dire performance of Atletico Man United. Um, with with Chelsea Lille, it it was a good overall performance from both teams. I, I felt Lille they stayed in it within the ninety minutes. Um, they did that without kind of causing too many problems. Going off of their kind of stats and a little bit that I know about the French league that's been going on, um, they. They've been lacking a threat up front. I think if they'd have had a, a more attacking striker, I think it could have been a, a different game for Chelsea. It was really great to see Pulisic get on the score sheet. And um, I, I feel that Pulisic needed that game. He needed that game under his belt to, to, to cement his kind of place back in the team. Um, I don't think he quite connects with Alonso. Um there was a lot of times where Pulisic, he, he would have been running into the space that kind of Alonso occupied. So instead of doing like a, a regular win-backs overlapping runs, Alonso tends to, he, he does the run and then he just occupies that space, which you kind of see there's a couple of times where Pulisic, he didn't really know where to be. So he kind of drifted off central. Um, but yeah, he, um, he had a really good, a good game. I do think that Alonso did. I think this is the last season that we possibly will be seeing him at Chelsea. I think his defensive output, he, Pulisic got him out of a lot of crap a couple of times. And there was a few times within the game where he was getting a lot of glares from Thiago Silva. He basically, he, he, he covered his arse. He comes across, he, he deals with a problem that Alonso should have been back there to deal with. But overall, um, it's a strong performance, and it will be interesting to see the, the the second leg. Yeah, I mean, what I what I for the little bit I caught of it, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it seemed like with Lille, uh, Renato Sanchez wasn't really getting the feeds that he needed um, to actually make a valid attack, to make a strong attack. Um, it was like he was just sitting up there by himself. Um, and I, I really think that, uh, back to your like holistic deal, I think that it showed, uh, how he and Kai Havertz are kind of starting to work together a little better and that there's a better fluidity there. Absolutely um, agree with that. But yeah, I mean, Alonzo, as a city supporter, I am anti that dude, but, uh, I mean, I just feel like he his biggest threat is like a weird cracker deep, you know, shot more than anything. I don't feel like he's worthy in defense, especially for some of the players that could be played. He kind of stays up. He neglects the other half of the team. Hmm. And I think that really interferes when, because like Pulisic is, a, is an out and out winger. I know that they've tried playing him up front. I don't think that's his strongest position. I think is a lot more effective with them bursting runs coming out of the wing. And with Alonso, I don't know whether he sees his own headlines. I mean, it's great that he does have the attacking instinct that he does, but I think he does it more as a lone wolf as opposed to actually a link-up play. Whereas um, on the other side to it, uh, you've got like Reese James and Zayic. They really cooperate well, the, the, the back and forth, back and forth. Um, with Alonso, it, 
he, there was just there was just too many times in that game where he just he just holds that upper left third of the pitch, and then that kind of forces Pulisic or whoever that left winger is, he forces him inside. But you don't get that kind of give and go. He just kind of stays there, and I think it it does break down a lot of plays. And if there is that quick turnover, then it's it tended to be Pulisic that would then run back. To, to, to track and to sort out the problem while kind of Alonso stayed up front. Uh, either way, it was a, you know, a good match. Um, I don't think that Lille came out of it like, you know, upset, obviously, you know, going into the second leg to get two goals down is not choice, but anything can happen. And, you know, positivity from either side, but obviously mainly from Chelsea. Now, uh, one of the more interesting to start at least matches uh, was the Villarreal Juventus match. Um, you know, obviously any match that starts with a goal in 33 seconds, that's a good kicker. Vlavic is really coming out strong with Juventus. Uh, if you watch the match, that strike was pretty impressive, settling the ball and then just going pretty much directly across your body to go opposite corner. Really impressive. But then to me, it kind of felt like Villarreal went on the front foot and it felt like Juventus, I mean, while they while they obviously still played a great game, I think that we saw more from the attack from Villarreal, which is you know, interesting. Um, I feel like we didn't see enough uh, from uh, Alvaro Morata, and what we did see was kind of unimpressive, which, to be fair, is kind of par for the course with that guy anymore. Um, and, you know, Danny Pareo coming in the end and getting the equalizer, making it even up for that second leg is a big deal. And like I said, I mean, you know, we also had Lo Celso go off the woodwork. It was, it just felt to me like while Juventus may have been kind of stronger, I feel like the attack itself was far stronger from Villarreal, whereas the defense, I guess you could say, was stronger from Juventus. Uh, the capability of holding their form through the match without him. Oh, I think they have plenty of players. Uh, to to cover that that gap, I think that he's a great person to have in when you have him. Um, but it's it's one of those things where you know they have the depth to handle it, right? But do you think that that maybe demoralized them a bit? You know, where they could have ran away with the game a little bit more um, over Villarreal, where you know that injury definitely may have brought them back a little bit. I think that the tie itself is still pretty much on a knife edge, being that it's one one. I think Villarreal would definitely be coming out of that a lot happier. Um, it's just whether they can put in a similar kind of performance at home to Juve. I think it would definitely interest a lot of Arsenal fans, considering the, the connections there with their missing out of Lahovic. And also Villarreal being obviously coached by Unai Emery. Um, I think he's definitely put a, a line under the EPL and he's kind of remade his name back out in the, in the Spanish league. But um, I don't think, even if you've, you've uh, get past this next round, I can't see them going much further, I've got to admit. I don't think they're the, the team that they once were. No, I don't believe that either. Um, Italian league, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, All right, so. Virel took over to get the equalizer. All right, well, and to uh, just finish the, the second portion of the round of 16 first legs, uh, Seems like there's been a bunch of. Uh, it seems like this round was full of draws. We have the Benfica AX match and the Atletico versus the United match. Yeah, the Atletico Man United match. I mean, you could kind of say that that pretty much any of the last 10, 15, probably twenty games Man United have played, it was it was pretty much the same old story. I mean, they they overall they dominated possession without ever actually kind of troubling Atletico. Um, and obviously, the the big headline there was. Uh, Maguire, even his future's kind of been called into question over that. They were definitely a different team once they bought on Malanga. I can't see, even if, again, if Man United managed to get past Atletico, um, they're out in the next round. It's been a very strange season for them, considering the the, the history that they've got at the club. Uh, a club that's kind of given up on the league, kind of puts everything into Europe, but you're seeing the same flat performance, error strewn. But the one thing that, that Ranić was obviously brought in to do was to make sure that fourth spot. And even then, that's out of their hands now. I mean, Arsenal, with the, the three games that they've got in hand, it's going to be a major disappointment. And I, I think whoever comes in 
is obviously watching kind of performances in Europe, performances at home, and there's just no passion, no belief. There's nothing there, whether they're, they're home or away. And just some key stats to focus on in that uh, in that match. You know, United had 61% possession over Letty's 39. And they it seems like they controlled all that game, and they should have. You know, at a draw, 1-1. But, I mean, it took Alanga up until the 80th minute to get that goal where it took – Jal Felix, seven minutes, you know, and I, I know that the, the separation and those goals from first half to second half, that can, that's the difference of two games almost in my opinion. Um, but the way that it was played from United, it went front to back the same way as it, as it has every single game for them where they are always in possession. It looks like they, they could score. They're about to score and then they don't. Definitely. Then, I mean, I would love to have seen Suarez on earlier. I think it would have been a, perhaps a different game because, I mean, he would have just terrorised Maguire. When you look at the players that they're putting out, I mean, Maguire, 80 million, the, the money that's been spent, crazy figures for quality that's there. I mean, could Maguire even walk in to another team that's in top six, top eight? I, I don't think there's many clubs that would even touch him. No, there's not. And I, I, you, he would have to take a massive pay cut, and I'm not really sure if that even works in the PL. Um, but he would have to take a massive pay cut to go anywhere if he wants to stay even within the top 20 teams. Because $80 million or £80 million is not worth what he's producing. Um, I mean, you can see when he's with national team, he actually he, – he, it looks like he's there to play. Yeah. Um, but when he plays with United, it looks like even with that armband on, like he doesn't want to fucking be there or like he doesn't care. He's not sure what his place is on that squad. That's that's something I would totally it's like he doesn't know what his place is like, uh, you know, with the national team, uh, you get a, you, I mean, you got Stonesy there. Like you yeah. got you got a solid back line that can kind of cover his bullshit. Yeah. Um, and it does help strengthen him at the same time. Um, I don't want to just shit on United the whole time. I, I do want to, like, you know, I, I think that there were some good points. I think that uh, Jaden Sancho came through and like had some had some good runs. Um, yeah. Uh, but again, just finding the back of the net, um, and, and you know, going back to the the possession stats, when you have that level of a, a difference in possession, and they're still putting more shots on goal. I mean, not on goal, but like you know, putting more shots at you. Uh, like 13 to nine versus one, I mean, and one to two versus on or on target. Like that's, that's, that's basically saying like, you're, you're, you're literally just holding the ball to hold the ball. There's no reason. There's no force with that holding the ball. And they gotta, they gotta correct that if they, if they do want to move on uh, beyond Atletico and like, like you're saying, Alfie, I don't, I don't know. I mean, anything can happen. It's champions league, a little bit of luck, but I, I just don't know. And I will say to your point, Kyle, with United, and obviously we're not going to sit here and trash them the whole time because they are a team. They are a very, they are a very good and talented team. There are there's plenty of talent on that team to make them a top four team, and they are. Um, but one of the things that I'm seeing in a lot of these matches is when they are getting down in the box and they are taking their shots on goal. It, it's it, it's like they're defeating themselves. They're you know it's if it's not banking off of a post, it's banking off of a player or being deflected by a player. It, it, it seems like it's always something. The talent's there. The resources there to create goals, it's just not being done. And I think that's something that Ralph needs to address in the coming weeks if they want be they want to be a contender uh, going into the end of the season. Agree. It's hard to look at them as well with the 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 players themselves. They it's almost like they don't have a plan. Um, are they a counterattacking team? Are they are they a pressing team? Because the players that are there, they're not there to press. He's trying to put square pegs into round holes but the the youth that's there I mean Jaden Sancho across 90 minutes he still plays with his heart I would love to have seen him kept Ahmad Diallo uh, I think him with Ilanga they've got uh, Lingard that they still buy into the fact that they're they're playing for Man United I think they've got too many players there that have they've either got half an eye out of the door the belief isn't there and you've got Ralph Ranyak, I think, that's trying to force an ideal there, but he's giving mixed messages. They don't, you, I can't look at Man United and say they are this team, they are that team. It's almost like you, you can split the pitch between them. You've got midfield to back, midfield to front, and there's no connection at all. Yeah, I totally see that. Totally, totally see that. Um, 
So now moving into our uh, the, the the last portion of the first leg, our Benfica versus Ajax match. I mean, Benfica worked, worked. You know, Ajax goes up, Benfica equalizes. Ajax goes up, Benfica equalizes. It's you know, with with the way Ajax have been playing, you I I, I expected a different scoreline personally, but it it says everything to to the fight that's in Benfica. Um, the switch, um, you know leaving Portugal going into that other, that other stadium, I think that's going to be a different kind of thing. I think we're going to see like the weather and all that kind of thing affect them. Um, but who knows, who knows? They, they really showed a lot of heart in that match. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Alfie, do you have anything to add to that? Just the fact that, I mean, I, I love the resurgence that I've seen in Ajax um, with me being slightly older. Um, I remember that the, the old Ajax team and the, the, the the kind of fear that that just that name used to install across Europe. It's great to see that resurrection in in Dutch football that's coming back. I think that the the biggest problem that Ajax is is going to face is is keeping the players that they actually bring through. If they can keep that squad, whether they they they, they get much further in the in this year's Champions League, I don't know. Going forward over the next couple of seasons, if they can keep that squad and maybe add to it, you they will become a, a force again it's just again whether they get picked off by Real Madrid Juve well the problem then... with them that you run into is that like every time they they get a good squad of young players like what was it th- three years ago in the Champions League um as soon as that season ends they start getting offers and instead of building a team they're like hell yeah we're taking that fucking money yeah and you know like you have Frankie De Jong, like Nigel De Jong, uh, uh, Van de Beek. Uh, I mean, all of those players came from that same squad. They went to the final that year, if I remember correctly. Um, but you know, they it, it was it was literally as soon as that ended, and everyone had gotten to see them on that stage. It was like Barcelona's out there to buy and and pay in, and like I mean, City were looking, but City weren't ready to pay that kind of money. Like Barca starting at like 100, 150 and shit. And it's like, what the fuck? Um, it's a shame because yeah. a lot of those players that they, that were kind of pulled apart from that team, they've uh, like that like Van der Beek, Man United. They, they're, a lot of their, their careers have, have fallen flat since then. Uh, even like uh, Zayic, Chelsea, he's just now kind of finding his feet back again. It's, it's, a real, it's a real shame when that happens, when a team does get pulled apart. And I think that's the that's the the, the biggest obstacle that Ajax are going to face is is keeping those players. Three points and a pie podcast brought to you by the Pig and Pan Public House, Bermondsey. This is our, our Boris Johnson, Humphrey um, Steele, Prime Minister, and and you are listening to 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 the um, three points and a uh, pie podcast. Top four matches, especially this week, and we can definitely hit on the City Everton match and the bullshit that happened with that. Um, not that it was, I, I have two sides to that um, as a City supporter. Um, but going into it, um, yes, there are, when we when we talk about our top four matches on this, we are not saying the top four team. We were talking about the top four that we picked from the week to kind of go over that we felt needed to be a focal point. So moving on. Um, Alfie, you'd like to lead us off on this? Yeah, I, I picked out Arsenal Wolves. Um, I've been a big fan of Wolves all season, and I felt that this game here, it was a make or break for Wolves for that fourth place. I think if they'd have taken the points off Arsenal, then it puts them back into that. There's the, the dark horse for that that fourth spot. Having watched Wolves again all, all, most of the season, I think that the thing that they've struggled with is was obviously goals up front. Mm-hmm. I think if they could have kept uh, Neto fit. I think with the way everyone else, Man United, Arsenal, I mean, Arsenal put a good run together recently, but what you would class as the, the, the big six, big seven, no one's like really stamped fourth place. I think if Wolves had mm-hmm. kept a, 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 a really good striker fit, I think they would, they would have run away with fourth, basically. But, I mean, it was a good game to watch in general. It was a, it's an old cliche, but it was a game of two halves. Um, Wolves, it really was. 
definitely dominated the first, the half. And that's where it comes back to goals. I think they went one up with the, the chances they had. If they'd have had that kind of clinical striker, uh, they could have gone into the half, that two, possibly three up, which with their defence, I think that would have taken the game away from Arsenal. But Arsenal mm. obviously come out. What they've done, a lot of other games, they've kind of like switched it around in the second half. And they 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 came around with the points. I do feel that a, a draw would have been a fair result, but it's definitely given Arsenal the kind of momentum to kind of to, to grab that fourth place. So, mm-hmm. and I mean, going off of the games that they 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 have won, they've put a good run together. So they, it's not something that they don't deserve. It would have just been nice to see Wolves pick up those points to actually stay in that at least in that touching distance of fourth. Yeah, and I mean, you didn't see you didn't see that uh, that game differential goal until you know five minutes after the ninety, and that was uh, that was Sa. They controlled a lot of the game. I mean, they gave up their first goals in the first ten minutes. Um, they controlled it all the way through, but we're having trouble getting into the box. It seems. Well, I think it's a fair thing to note that I mean, Wolves had a match three days later too. Like yes, so, there's you know there's there's a level of, of uh, lineup tweaking that you have to do there, or, I mean, just deal with. And either way, you're, you're kind of fucked either way, you know? And I think the fact that they were able to still fight like that and then just unfortunately having that own goal at the end, I mean, you know? Which, to go on to what you were just saying there, um, as far as, you know, what the way they needed to assimilate themselves for the coming week and only having – uh, you know, basically a two-day rest period between the match they had and the one they had later that week um, against West Ham. That didn't really fare well in their in their in their thinking, to be honest. When when you look at the scoreline for the West Ham match, um, but to go back to Alfie's point, you know, the Wolves are they are highly in that contentious pot for the number four um, between West Ham and Man United, and I. I Honestly, man, and I think I think I talked to you about this at the beginning of the season. That was a team that I kind of looked at, and I was like, hmm, I think they might be good. And then they started playing, and I was like, all right, they're not too bad. And obviously, it's, you know, you know our story here. Um, but they, they, they definitely have showed the promise of being at least a mid-table team, and not only surprise us to be in that spot to potentially be the four. As City fans, do you think Arteta's done enough at Arsenal to still be considered or looked at as Pep's L? You can't no. ask me that. You can't ask me that question because I hate Michael Mikel Arteta's face, literally. And Kyle will tell you that. Like, every time I see him, I just want to slap the shit out of him. So I, as that's that's the really non <laughs> – it's kind of a moot point into what you're saying. So, But also, like, I, I can't give you a fair evaluation on that guy. Kyle, I'm sorry. But no. Simple answer. I, um, if honestly, if if we see anybody come in, if it does happen that Pep's out at the end of this contract and he doesn't extend, which personally, especially if we win the league league this year, and maybe a couple other trophies, um, I, I think Pep's going to extend at least a couple more years. Beyond that, I think that we could actually see Vincent Company come back, um, and I would rather see him. Um, not to go too far off topic what you said, Alfie, but if that would ever be the case, um, I certainly would see Vincent Company as being a viable uh, replacement into that spot if Pep does not extend his contracts. But I firmly believe that he will. If he left the, if he left the team in the state that it is, he's an idiot. Now, back to the point of, of Pep. Um, I, well, Pep's always said, as long as I'm winning um, and as long as I have the support of the fans, you know, the team – and you know the back staff and all of that, uh, I'll stay. But as soon as they don't want me here, that's what he said. So we'll see. Um, I don't think that we're going to – I mean, obviously, already we're seeing Pep in a club that longer than he's ever been in a club. That bodes well for us. But as far as uh, Mikel goes, he was a great assistant coach for us. That's what I have to say about that. I don't think that he's – shown the ability to really handle the players that he has. Um, and I, I do think that he's done a good job of recruiting, but uh, 
beyond that, I just I don't I don't think that he would be the choice if that was going to be up for grabs. So moving on to the next match, uh, let's take a look at that United Watford match. Um, let's give United the praise that they deserve. They possess the ball for sixty seven percent of the match. Um, well, I'm going to take a little something away from it at the same time. 22 shots, three on goal. First of all, guys, let's, 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 uh, we're going to backtrack a little bit going into what we were talking about the Champions League match. Um, let's talk about the state of United. I really am just like Alfie said earlier, I'm kind of at an odds with the way United, um, is playing this season and with all the talent they have on the pitch with all of the chances that they have had to score and have not translated that at all. What are you guys' thoughts? I think it still needs to be said that, I mean, technically they're on an unbeaten run. Um, you know, the, the whole arsenal three freaking matches in hand, that's, that's a whole other thing. But uh, I, I think that, we're we're seeing some good things coming out of them. I think that what we really saw in that match was what we saw last week in out of Watford. They are just so strong in holding their shape and and just pissing off attacks. And I just think that uh, what Roy Hodgson's doing there is is fucking great. Yeah. Um, I I you know I don't think that I would really say either way about United right now just because. There are plenty of matches left, and fuck, we have them next weekend. Um, so I don't really want to shit talk them that much because I'm not trying to put that shit into the universe. Uh, but yeah, I think that it really is more of a cheers to Watford than it is a fuck you United. Absolutely. I am, um, and Alfie, we'll get your take on here just after a second. I, I just want to throw out there that going back to the shots, uh, shot attempts per the ones on goal. Watford had 10 shots, two on goal. I, I feel like it's pretty relative, statistically speaking, or percentage-wise, to what United put up that uh, that day. Um, but I also wanted to, like, I wanted to throw in there, the last four matches that Watford and United have had, ready for this? Draw, win, loss, draw. So they've only lost one match against United in the last They have four. only lost, lost one match against United in the last four. That's a basically living at the bottom of the table for yeah. now. We'll see. We'll see what happens with them. Yeah, exactly. Alfie, what do you got to say about this, man? Uh, with this, I mean, you with Roy Hodgson, you you are always going to know what you're going to get out of a, a team managed by him. I think this, that statistically and, and watching the match, this was a big test for Man United not to get the three points because you would expect them to. But just purely how they deal with a team that's going to let them have the ball, let them come on, and then just just keep that low block, keep their shape. And on a different day, this could have been 4 or 5 nil, But it still comes back to the fact that Watford let Man United do whatever they wanted for 90 minutes. And Man United struggled to get over the line. And I think this really does play a big part in that there's something rotten there. It's, I don't know if it's the, the management, the coaching, the players. There's, there's something that's just missing in that loop. They should have walked this four or five nil. Um, just going Absolutely. off of the, just the numbers alone. Mm -hmm. But they, they couldn't. They didn't have it in them to just kill this game off. And previously, you know, that... Teams under Ferguson, they could play crap for 80 minutes. They give 10 minutes and they walk away 2-0, 3-0. You just feel with this Man United team, sometimes you they, they could have the ball for three or four hours and they just don't know what the hell to do with it. Mm -hmm. They don't know who to feed it to. They don't know who to, to get it to. You've got Ronaldo, who's a massive personality up front, but Ronaldo plays for Ronaldo now. Exactly. He's an ego more than a personality at this point. Yeah. And you've got um, the youth coming through. For Man United to evolve, they they need to chop a lot of wood away. They really do. And and, and, and even to further that, um, 
you know, just to go into my last point on this match so we can go into uh, our next one, you know, what to do. And this question is going to get raised all season until it's over, until it's done. What to do with Ralph? What do you do with Ralph after the season? I think that I think that they need a real like I mean they need a manager who is going to actually put in a system and work it. I think that, that I think that even with Solskjaer, you weren't really seeing a system. You were just seeing a formation. And 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 then you know Marina before that and all that, like it's it's all just kind of counter united mentality, if you ask me. Like, you know, the old you know that that sir alex ferguson style where like basically balls out let's just fucking attack and you don't well i mean and that might that might go to the ability of the club more than uh you know the the manager i guess but Mm -hmm. i think that we can all agree that they have plenty of fucking talent on there and that they should be able to make something work but they just there's no system to consistently follow throughout the match and that's where they just get lost and kind of fumble around like fucking idiots i i completely agree with that and i think that kind of goes into our last week's episode uh what we were talking about with united um they all the pieces that they have up front all between bruno fernandez Jaden sancho uh cristiano ronaldo fred pick all pick everybody you want to from the front seven of that that pitch they're all able to do work they're all able to produce and they do not because they're all trying to get their own they're not they're not trying to make the extra pass they're not trying to do the things that they need to do to create a whole play rather than just trying to create one for themselves all right well you know we'll we'll see what happens we got the derby coming up so you have uh, the derby this weekend Watford have arsenal so that's going to be a good one too Um, big derby weekend guys and uh yeah so, so let's move into our next match let's uh let's touch on this everton city match um lot of uh lot of um sp- scandal that goes into this one Kyle? yeah uh i mean obviously it, it, the main thing that needs to be taken away from it is everton play their fucking asses off like i mean we win adam and win adam and went at them and they absorbed and two players that I thought were going to be pretty much fucking useless for this match were some of the best players in the match. If you ask me like a Wobie played his fucking ass off um, and some, some really, really, really key saves from uh, Pickford. Now yes, there were huge saves from him, by the way. I, and Alfie with us both being the city supporters that we are, I, I think that we can both, sit here and tell you that we will play fair play and as well as our audience will play fair play when it comes to our matches. Jordan Pickford had a fucking game. He showed up and that was, that was so, it was brilliant to watch. Yeah. That yeah. double save from uh, Foden and then Cancelo or like how, yep. however that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it, it basically it literally took like a scuffed fucking weird shot from Foden to do anything. Um everything shit hits the fan and we don't know what VAR is doing. Uh, I mean, the, the rules are what sleeve doesn't count anymore. So that's kind of what I saw is what they were, is what the pig mole were saying. I don't know it's that. And well, here's the thing. The sleeve is part of the fucking arm. Okay. The arm is technically, I, I, as far as I've ever known the game from when I was a kid, that's how you fucking play. If it hits your fucking arm, doesn't matter. It, it has to be from the the ball joint down. That is that is a handball. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you can you can chest it and like you know put your arms out to try and chest it, but end of the day, well, okay. So my thing is, and I feel like, well, even on uh, NBC Sports here, um, the immediate thing they said was, oh well, Richarlison was off offside in the buildup, and I was like, okay, I see that totally makes sense now. And then after that, like the Premier League released the the statement or somebody released a statement saying that it was just not a handball because it was on the sleeve. And I'm like, well, that that muddles the water way worse. Why not just go back to that actual fucking offside and just. um, Right. Right. But 
I mean, I guess that's even debatable. So who knows? Uh, my stance on it is City have had a shit ton of calls not given them to given to us. So I'll take this yeah. one given to us. Absolutely, absolutely. I, that, that's something I can definitely agree with. I mean, and the way that it looks though to the rest of the world is City's the big, the big dogs. They got away with one. Well, yeah, we did. We did. I think they've muddled it so much with VAR because in the pre-VAR, it was all done by eye, obviously. But with the technology that we've got, that they, they need that specific line. They need that specific metric for VAR to even work. And I think they've just, they've created more problems to one extent than solve them. I think it, the game just hasn't caught up to VAR rule-wise yet. I think we're still two or three seasons away from them actually working out a lot of the little uh, well, ruffles. I, I think it comes down to the definition. There just needs to be a flat definition of what certain rules are, especially when it pertains to VAR. I don't feel like there is. And that's... that's it's it's all subjective. They, yeah, that, well, they're continually changing the metric for handballs. And it's like, where does it fucking end, you know? And that's what really needs... And, and I'm sorry, but, like, Everton coming out and asking for an apology? Fuck out of here. I mean, but in all honesty, the, 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 to, to go into the officiating cruise with this, there has to be some sort of penalization that goes into it. I said this last week. I'm going to say it this week. I'm going to say it every week some shit happens. There needs to be some repercussions to these officiating crews. Yes, they announced or they they uh, issued a statement of an apology to Everton, but this is your apology. fault. You 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 literally you literally changed the momentum of a match just by one call, and now you they're just an apology is enough. No, I'm sorry, that's not enough in my book. You look and yes, there are penalizations to these these officiating crews or these official uh, officials, but at the same point, in time, like. We're, we're, me and Kyle, I feel like we're going to constantly reference other sports outside of football um, and specifically attaching American football to European or world football. Um, when you get officiating crews over here on American football, they fuck up now, they get fucking punished. They're like, in some of the stipulation rules, especially for the playoff uh, officiating crews going into the Super Bowl, they alternate crews depending on what game uh, series they end up officiating. So if you are in the super wild card round, you'll more than likely end up in the divisional round. If you do get in the divisional round, you'll end up being in the Super Bowl. Um, but even just this past year, there were several bad calls in several of the games throughout the wild card and the divisional round. And those officiating crews, I'm not exactly sure which, um, which game it was. There was an officiating crew from a wild card round that was not allowed to go into the conference round because of a bad call that they made that actually changed the tide of the game. And I think that that needs to be implied with FIFA and UEFA. They need to start doing better um, with these with these officials and reprimanding them for what they've done because specifically, like I said in this match, I feel like it changed the tide of the way things were going to because Everton was playing a fucking hell of a match against us. It, that's how it goes. Um, it is. But before, you know, I mean, we would we would see matches every single week where, um, you know, an offside goal is allowed or whatever. Yep. And at least we're getting somewhere toward the right side of that, but there's still a long road. All right. So the last match of Premier League wrap up was a doozy for a London side, and not for another. Um, so, and what match are you referring to? Tottenham Leeds. Oh, okay, okay. Um, oh yeah, we need to go in. We do. We do need to go into this. There's a lot of things that go on with the with Leeds this week. Yeah, uh, you know, it was it was another good showing uh, that we're starting to see that that train getting traction of uh, Harry Kane and Son working together, where they're really starting, and uh, Kuliszewski is really mixing into that really nicely um the other side of that coin is what the fuck is well was going on at leeds um 
obviously now new manager. Um, I, I hope Bielsa finds another job really quickly because that guy is still like a proper fucking manager, in my opinion. Uh, I just think that it, well, it, it just doesn't work with Leeds. Well, where, where's, where, where was the breakdown? I guess it's my question that I have to this, you know, not to push into what you were, you know, you were saying, but what, what was the breakdown with Bielsa and Leeds that led to him sacking? Uh, I would say defense. Uh, Solely? I, I mean, they can, they've conceded more goals than any other club in the Premier League. Um, and, and if I remember correctly, like Bielsa's main structure is kind of like a, like a man-on-man marking setup. Um, whereas now with Jesse Marsh, you're looking at more of like a zonal setup. And I think that could help them more. Um, I mean, they have some good defenders in there, so we'll see. But uh, Alfie, what's your take on it? I think with, uh, with Bielsa, I think he, he reached a point where he couldn't take that team any further. I think the, the, the two to three seasons that he was there, it, I mean, the last season, they took the EPL by storm. Uh, the the energy that they used to press with, but I think this season you got the, the the second season syndrome. I think a lot of people kind of worked out if you kind of weather that little storm for the first few minutes, you could catch them break, you could catch them. Uh, they tended to have that high line, and I mean teams just scored for fun against them. They would they become the the, the league's whipping boys. Well, and you take you know you take Patrick Bamford out of that equation for so long and that takes away a lot of the scariness of that, you know? I'm really interested to see what Marsh does with him. I'm really interested to see how Premier League supporters treat Jesse Marsh. Well, they're already calling him Ted Lasso, from what I've heard. Oh, that's, that's fun. As the, and, and sorry, Alfie, but apparently that's the most common reference ever since that series has come out uh, for any buddy who has anything to do with European football that's American uh, yeah. when it comes to coaching. It's, they they just Lasso automatically just call him a Ted Lasso. He, it is. It's a great series. <laughs> check it out if you have Apple just Plus. TV. <laughs> you have Apple TV Plus, go check out Ted Lasso. Yeah. We're, not, we're not actually paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jesse Marsh is coming in and he's, he's coming off at the back of a good career as a manager. Um, but he he's now going to be held to a higher standard than a manager that was coming in that was either Italian or German or French. And I mean, I know that that Bob Bradley, uh, when he was at Swansea, he kind of like, he didn't exactly set the world alight. But it's just shitty that you're getting professional pundits that are kind of making references to the fact, well, you know, Marsh has never managed in England. He's never managed in EPL. And it's like, yeah, but you don't say that with every manager. Um, I mean, Marsh, he did his badges up in, I believe, Scotland. He's managed in, in Germany numerous times. So although he played his career mainly in the, well, the entire career in the MLS as a manager, he's been schooled in, in European football. And it just sucks that he's, he's coming in and, Right off the bat, he's being held to a higher standard than a lot of other managers would be if they took that spot. Yeah, and to the point of, you know, you haven't managed in this league and that must, you know, you're, you're going to have trouble. Well, Pep didn't manage here. Like, you know, how many, how many managers started in the Premier League and did well? I'm not saying that he's fucking Pep, but, I mean, he did well well enough with uh Leipzig and uh you know I mean I I think that I think that he has a really good chance here I think it's it's a club that's begging for something different going off of like some of what I've read about Marsh and seeing a couple of the teams that he's he played I remember he was managing I believe New York Red Bulls when Chelsea went out to the States on a tour and they they beat us but um Ignoring all, all the other kind of noise that went around it, he plays a similar brand of football to Bielsa. I just think they're going to be a lot better organised. And I think everything they do is going to be with purpose. A lot was made of Bielsa's his training, how hard he trained in players. Well, you know yourself, if, if you 
if you work your bollocks off on a Monday, you're kind of fucked on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. So if you've got a couple of training sessions where like he's running you to death, come Saturday, over time, your output's going to drop. It's going to drop. It's going to drop because you're, you're, you're getting that, that burnout. And a big difference between him and Bielsa, I think it's just going to have a lot more purpose to what he does with the team. Only time will tell, but, you know, hopefully shell of a club that is Leeds right now from what we, from like what we're saying, from what we've been seeing from them, hopefully he can bring that soul back. Uh, But we'll see. You see Tottenham? Yeah, oh my God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Beat City, lose against Burnley, hammer Leeds, lose against Middlesbrough. And I mean, like, you know, Middlesbrough, like, I will touch on that later. Um, But they, you know, we've, we've seen it with the Premier League. They, they can put up a fight, but fuck. I mean, there's talk of Conte out. Like, I I don't really think that that's cool that they're going to, that, that, that's even in a conversation. This is his first season at Tottenham. He's going to need another season, at least maybe two, for that whole unit to congeal and be able to more, be more on a winning streak than where they're at right now because they're just it it feels like they're just finding their legs right now welcome to the three points and a pie podcast brought to you by the pig and pan public house Bermondsey (laughs) hello this is Jamie Carragher and you're listening to the three points and a pie podcast now we're going to go into the big story this week um, and that is the crisis in Ukraine and how that is affecting football um I think first kind of go and touch on the Abramovich statement um, that was released. He said mixed reviews, I think, on the one hand, without Abramovich actually condemning outright Russia's aggression. Um, It's been taken as that he's just protecting his interests financially. As a Chelsea fan, I'm not going to lie, it's hard not to love Abramovich. I know there's a lot of people out there that are to that with all that's going on but we have such a knee-jerk reaction in society now where you've got Labour MPs and House of um, Commons coming out and ripping Abramovich a new one there's not been a, a, a ton of proof that Abramovich is involved that much with Putin a Chelsea fans perspective if there was concrete proof, you know, by all means, seize everything, do everything that you need to do. His statement, it, it's almost like lip service. It's come across as lip service. It's enough to distance himself from the club without actually condemning anything. I think he would have done a lot better with a more in-depth statement rather than just how he's handing over the cut that to the, the board of trustees without actually saying a definite thing, but. Well, and that actually, that leads me to a couple of the questions that I had about this, this portion of our segment. Um, and you kind of touched on that with just what you said. Um, was that, a, was that statement a, a little too little um, from, from his perspective um, and what he's producing out to, fans and supporters and just people in football in the football world who are, you know, obviously um, on this subject. Um, was that too little of a statement for him to make being that his, what his interests are and pertaining and how his, what his ties are to Russia and Vladimir Putin. Um, and will that, and is obviously, is that enough? I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough, but now the, on the other, on the other end of that, there are, things that are being said about how he is going to be a potential medium uh, in talks between Ukraine and Russia um, and using him kind of as an advocate or whatever. Um, you know, what, do either one of you know what his, what his, aside from him just being an oligarch in Russia, in Russia um, what his status is with Vladimir Putin? Um, and do you think that he could potentially or, yeah, do you think he could potentially have any persuasion considering Abramovich's perspective on it and how it is um, diminishing 
the Russian Federation and their ability to play sports beyond football and even with just in football in general. I don't know if anybody could get through to him right now. But and do you? So... But do you honestly think? Um, do you think that this? But do you think that honestly that that statement was enough? In in the sense that, for him to be speaking as a Russian. Do you think that he could have said a little bit more and saying, you know, this isn't something that I I personally agree with, or you know, what? Or do you think because of his 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 heavy tie to Vladimir Putin and being just in general a Russian, uh, the the level of loyalty that he's not really ready to relinquish a lot of those kind of words, um, so therefore he made less of a statement, or do you think it's just that he he was saying something just to smooth it over in the moment? Well, I mean, you know, he's, he's an oligarch. He's right. He's up there. Like he's, he's actually still, you know, from, you know, the, the USSR type shit, you know, like it's, it's a whole other thing. And I, it's not like, it's not like he's some hockey player, you know, some footballer who is a Russian, you know, compatriot. He's, he's a guy who holds a lot of fucking power and Kind of like what you saw with Trump when a lot of crazy shit was going on with Trump. There were plenty of business people who were tied to him who were like, oh, I'm not going to really say anything right now because I'm not really trying to, you know, fuck my life up. Right. Um, Conflict of interest type ideal. Yeah. And I, I think that that's really what we're running into with him. And I, I just think that, I mean, I wish that he would come out and condemn damn Putin for what he's doing we're not going to see that I mean without getting too political we're we're not putting troops into Ukraine at this point um that they're talking about sending out you know the the aid and everything with them approaching everything from a financial perspective those Russians that do have massive financial interest in England in Europe these could be used as links to, to, to the upper authority in Russia, as opposed to just condemning them and doing a bit of a, a witch hunt. Um, with Abramovich having massive ties to England, um, who's Zanamanov with Everton, these are high-ranking Russian billionaires. The, they could be that, that little link between the two. The harder that they push the more that they're going to make everything to do with Russia just seal shut. Um, if Abramovich and everyone else, if they pull out and they, they, they head back to Russia, you're closing down all communication links, everything, in every way. And I just think that there's a lot of people at the moment with this knee-jerk reaction that are trying to attach their name and to make their, their political career out of it all. I just think that time to talk, and we are still at that stage. They're not putting troops in. But I, going back to your point, I, I do agree that it, it did come across as just a lip service statement. It, it was just enough and no more. And I think that's what you're getting the backlash to, to Chelsea and to Kel in every interview he's been given. They're continually asking about Abramovich, Abramovich, Russian ties, Russian ties. And I mean, the guy's there to, to manage a football team. You know, uh, to a degree, he's not a PR representative, if not a, a representative of the club, is a representative of the team. And I think they should be talking a lot more to Abramovich himself as opposed to just... Yeah, like, what's I a player going to do? Say, oh, fuck you, guy who's paying me, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Who says that to the boss? Yeah. Uh, exactly, you know? So there are three, uh, three national teams that have come out and publicly stated they will not play Russia in the world qualifiers, uh, that being Poland, Sweden, and the Czech, uh, Czech Republic. Uh, Robert Lewandowski released a statement stating uh, in regards to Russia invading and, what it, and how he uh, doesn't feel that it belongs here in football. Um, it, them canceling out, he says, it is the right decision. I can't imagine playing a match with the Russian national team in a situation when armed aggression in Ukraine uh, in the Ukraine continues. Russian footballers and fans are not responsible for this, but we we can't pretend that nothing is happening. Absolutely right. Leza also wrote that no more words, time to act. 
Due to the escalation of the aggression of the Russian Federation towards Ukraine, the Polish national team does not intend to play uh, the playoff match against the Republic of Poland, Russia. Uh, this is the only this is the only right decision. We are in talks with the Swedish and Czech federations to re- present a common position to FIFA. What are you guys' takes on that? I think there's been a lot stronger words coming out of football than there has been coming out of a lot of political leaders. Um, <laughs> even it? to this day, like as we sit here now, because I mean news is changing so fast still countries that are still sitting on the fence I think uh, football's been a lot more clear and a lot more defined in what they've said even to the point with UEFA I mean I've always kept a half eye closed with UEFA purely because of the, the the financial they always put the finance above everything else yeah okay, uh, FIFA okay. the same thing <laughs> the the World Cup in Qatar even the, the World Cup in Russia I mean you know the massive corruption going on it gets found out, everybody kind of shrugs their shoulders and it's like, well, you know, we've already printed the business cards, it's got to go ahead. But it was it was really nice to see from UEFA themselves where they've cut ties with Gazprom, they've cut ties with Aeroflot. Um, and I think one of those deals was for like 85 million-ish dollars. And it's, it's nice to see that that support, I mean, immediately, as soon as this all happened, I mean... Um, the game with, with Man City, I, I had tears in my eyes with um, yeah. Zinchenko. I mean, that was a, a really heartfelt, wonderful moment. And it's it's great to see the unity behind everything going into this. I think that there's a lot of politicians that could take a lot of leaf out of um, professional sports world. Yeah. Seeing goosebumps thinking about that. Like it, the, it really does, man. Seeing, seeing their eyes and... Yeah, seeing uh, seeing Zinchenko and Michaelinko's eyes uh, in the pre-match and even post-match, um, just the the level of gratitude that came with those tears. Moreover, you know, you you knew those tears weren't just gratitude; they were also hurt uh, for their fellow countrymen, and that that really took that really hit me in my heart. That that pulled my heartstrings so so hard. Um, I can't imagine, and I don't think either one of us, and I think that we can both all, excuse me, all three of us can agree to this living in the countries that we do. We feel almost privileged um, because we have yet to see war on our own soil. Um, And then knowing, but for him knowing that that is happening on his and he's not there or able to do anything. And I think that also speaks along with the rest of the world um, where we don't feel like, well, there's a lot that we can do just by our words alone. And we can't. Um, but believe it or not, I, th- I think that those words do make a difference. You know, us calling out for no war, um, us, us saying this is, this is an absolutely senseless, senseless act of control and greed. And, you know, it, as much disdain as a city supporter, as I will continue and I doubt will ever end, uh, I have for UEFA. UEFA and FIFA, what they've done in the wake of this in the last week or so is, I mean, it's it's a move in the right direction. You know, pulling Russia from the World Cup, pulling the Champions League final, like they're, you know, taking money away from them is the best way to do this. Right. And, um, I, you know, I just, I hope that, well, the best way, at least for, you know, footballing, football sanctioning bodies to, to affect it. I hope that it does something like, you know, with, with, uh, with Zinchenko, he had that statement where uh, he, I don't know, I think it was on Instagram or something. Um, and he essentially said, we demand from the international sports society, one, exclude Russia from all sports, international governing bodies. That seems reasonable but again the ties and the the communication that you were talking about Alfie I don't know how far they can go with that Two, uh, Formula One actually just to break up real quick Formula One has already put that to bed because they they're 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 basically saying we're not gonna just because of this is going on we're not gonna let one driver not be able to drive because this is happening so Nikita Mazepan is still able to drive within Formula One as a Russian driver what they're doing and this is something and I'll let you finish here what they're doing is they're allowing these specific drivers, players, whatever it may be, to fly or excuse me, 
sanction themselves under this a specific flag or a, a unifying flag, I should say, um, which I thought was really cool. And I think that that's something they should look into, especially when it comes to uh, Russian athletics and sports stars. Because if you look at hockey, if you if you take out if you took out every Russian player in the National Hockey League, you'd lose the National Hockey League. You'd lose the best goal scorer in the National Hockey League. Well, um, right, but we're not going to go into your bias. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we're not going to go into your bias here about another sport. Well, we're this, we're talking about the fact that this is literally you would literally wipe out one sport entirely just because of somebody's nationality. I think that that's a little bit crazy. Well, and that that first note is really more about the involvement in the governing bodies, whereas the second note is more on to your point where he's saying ban any Russian Russian athletes from participating in any international competitions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, that, I mean, I'm an American. If we, if America went to war, does that mean like I I can't play in my sport? You know, like I I didn't make that decision. So that's where I get a little hazy on that. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing is these, these people aren't, making those decisions so to to deny them that right i feel like is is wrong right his third point is stop the sale of rights of broadcasts of international sporting competitions to russian media russian media and yeah just cut them off and like that's that's just going on with everything that we're saying cut the money cut the money um and and really if you if you take away their ability to view all this stuff because even Premier League in Russia is huge. And like you take away that and you're going to have some pissed off people. Four, prohibit Russian companies from being sponsors of international competitions and clubs. We're already seeing that with Gascom. Yep. Um, you know, and like some of those other companies. So that's, that's great. Again, take the money, take the money away from them. five. And probably the biggest thing support Ukraine with information. Join to sharing true information about actions of the aggressor countries. And the fact that because Russia is such a big body and the power that they hold, it's easy to overlook Ukraine. But I think most of the world looks at Ukraine in this, especially in this situation, as the underdog that we want to support because we've seen what Russia when they're all lined up and formations caravans. and stuff like that, whatever, and caravans um, that were running out of gas that were are unable to get to their, their drop points or wherever. And these uh, Ukrainian cameras are literally blowing up their stuff, which is great. So it makes that little guy, you know, that we're rooting for. Like I, when I saw that, I was like, fuck yes, they're doing something about it. That does not say that Russia, Russia doesn't have the money. They have not put their full force into all of this. So it's still very, very scary as to what can happen. And again, to try and bubble ourselves from getting too political and too... Right, right. No, I just, I thought that that was a really f- funny no, thing I to like, pull yeah. up. Yeah. Um, just to be contrary on it, because it, it, we, we have so little hope in what's going on over there I, I when i saw that you know that little that little glimmer i was like oh my god yes yes get them alfred do you have anything to add to this bud i felt like uh i feel like we've kind of cut you out on, on on most of this no just um i just hope that that chelsea isn't now completely not associated with a, a a russian aggressor i think that there's enough abramovich did enough good as well. He's plowed billions into um, our economy, um, London especially. He's done a lot of the anti-Semitic. We've um, we've kind of been at Jewish. The, the, the forefront for all that. Um, I just hope that this war doesn't wipe all that away, and then people have that memory of of what it is now, basically. I think that in order for that to happen, though, it, it's a matter of the actions that he takes during and after this crisis is happening and concludes. Um, what he's done to this point, we've all agreed that it's a bit lackluster. Definitely, um, and it could have been it, it could have been a bit more. Um, moreover, just to save his name, and so he's not trying to he's not going to save the Chelsea the Chelsea's name. Chelsea's name is established. 
Chelsea supporters are going to say Chelsea supporters are going to say Chelsea supporters forever. You know, that's one of the beauties that I, beautiful things I love about European football or, or, or world football together is the loyalty that goes into these fan or these, these, these clubs. So I, I really don't ever see that being a problem. Um, what I do see being the problem there is, is, is what actions he takes from here up until the end of this. Apart from another statement, what would you like to see from him? What do you think could be his next steps? Uh, he, well, I mean, he kind of also, from what I've seen, he's also kind of, you know, blew his, 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 his piece of being a median um, in talks between Ukraine and Russia at this point. He kind of sat back, and that was something that I had referenced off of ESPN FC. Um, he kind of sat back and did a whole lot of nothing, a whole lot of nothing. Um, so obviously, I, I mean, to see more, I, if you, if you really want to see the state of the world, be in a better place, um, beyond football, be the bridge that gaps all of that. If you're an oligarch, or if you're somebody who is high up in the Russian government, um, and you have that strong pool, I think it's your duty, um, as somebody who is a person in the world to make sure that this nonsense stops in some way shape or form you have a way of helping it i think you need to do it i don't know how much more he can do without having the wrath of putin yeah overstepping a boundary i completely understand that you know these are these are crazy times and i think the whole world is a little scared but obviously ukrainians are very very fucking scared and just so you know, everybody, anybody who's listening here from Ukraine, we stand with you. We support you. Um, if there was anything that we could do in the world right now, aside from sending our governments over and nuking the fuck out of Moscow, which we don't want that to happen either. Um, we want the world to be at peace. So, but regardless, our, our support is behind you and we stand with you. All right, guys. Well, I believe that concludes up our week. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening, and we look forward to having you back again next week. That wasn't too bad, was it? Now it's time for you to do a little work and click like or follow. And if you really got some life left in you, then leave a comment or review. That's me done. Got me driver waiting. <laughs>